Father, we thank you for the reading of your word. Bless us, Lord, as we seek your face today, June 19, Lord. You give us all things that we partake to life and godliness, Lord. We thank you for the word of God. We thank you for the reading. We make it well in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Kings 20, 21 and 29. About the time King Ben-Hadad of Ram mobilized his army, supported by the chariots and horses of 32 allied kings, well, they went to besiege Samaria, the capital of Israel, and launch attacks against it. Ben-Hadad sent messengers into the city to relay this message to King Ahab of Israel. This is what Ben-Hadad says. Your silver and your gold are mine, and so are your wives and the best of your children. All right, my lord, the king, Israel's king, replied, all that I have is yours. Soon Ben-Hadad's messengers returned again and said, this is what Ben-Hadad says. I have already demanded that you give me your silver, gold, wives, and children. But about this time tomorrow, I will send my officials to search your palace and the homes of your people. They will take away everything you consider valuable. Then Ahab summoned all the elders of the land and said to them, Look how this man is stirring up trouble. I already agree with his demand that I give him my wives and children and silver and gold. Don't give in to any more demands, all the elders and people advise. So Ahab told the messengers from Ben-Hadah, Say this to my lord the king, I will give you everything you ask for for the first time, but I cannot accept the last demand of yours. So the messengers returned to Ben-Hadah with the re that response. Then Ben-Hadah sent this message to Ahab. May the gods strike me, even kill me, if there remains enough dust from Samaria to provide even a handful for each of my soldiers. The king of Israel sent back this answer. A warrior putting on his sword for battle should not boast like a warrior who has already won. Ahab replaced Richmandav and the other kings as they were drinking in their tents. Prepare to attack, Ben-Hadad commanded his officers. So they prepared to attack the city. Then a certain prophet came to see the king Ahab of Israel and told him, This is what the Lord says, Do you see all these enemy forces? Today I will hand them over to you. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Ahab asked, How will he do it? And the prophet replied, This is what the Lord says, The troops of the provincial commanders will do it. Should we attack first? Ahab asked. Yes, the prophet answered. So Ahab mustered the troops of the 232 pro provincial commanders. Then he called up the rest of the army of Israel, some 7,000 men. About noontime, as Ben-Hadah and the 32 allies were Kings were still in their tents, drinking themselves into a stupor. The troops of the provincial commanders marched out of the city 
as the first contingent. As they approached, Medan Hadass scouts reported to him, some troops are coming from Samaria. Take them alive, Ben Hadad commanded, whether they have come for peace or for war. But Ahab's provincial commanders and the entire army had now come out to fight. Each Israelite soldier killed his Armenian opponent, and suddenly the entire Armenian army panicked and fled. The Israelites chased him, but King Ben Hadad and a few of his charioteers escaped on horses. However, the king of Israel destroyed the other horses and chariots and slaughtered all the Armenians. Afterwards, the prophet said to King Ahab, Get ready for another attack. Begin making plans now, for the king of Aram will come back next spring. After their defeat, Ben-Hadad's officer said to him, The Israelites' gods are gods of the hills. That is why they won. But we can beat them easily on the plains. Only this time replace the kings with field commanders, recruit another army like the one you lost, give us the same number of horses, chariots, and men, and you will fight against them on the plains. There's no doubt that we will beat them. So King Ben-Hadad did as they suggested. The following spring... The following spring, he called up the Armenian army and marched out against Israel. This time at Abhek, Israel then mustered its army, set up supply lines, and marched out for battle. But the Israelite army looked like two little flocks of goats in comparison to the vast Armenian forces that filled the countryside. Then the man of God went to the king of Israel and said, This is what the Lord says. The Armenians have said, The Lord is the God of the hills and not of the plains. So I will defeat this vast army for you. Then you will know I am the Lord. The two armies camped opposite each other for seven days, and on the seventh day the battle began. The Israelites killed a 100,000 Armenian foot soldiers in one day. The rest fled into the town of Aphek, but the wall fell on them and killing another 27,000. Ben-Hadad fled into the town and hid in a secret room. Ben-Hadad's officer said to him, Sir, we have heard that the kings of Israel are merciful, so let us humble ourselves by wearing burden, burlap around our waist and putting ropes in our heads and surrender to the king of Israel. Then perhaps he will let you live. So they put on burlap and ropes, and they went to the king of Israel and begged, Your servant Ben-Hadad says, Please let me live. The king of Israel responded, Is he still alive? He is my brother. The man took this as a good sign and quickly picked up his words. Yes, they said, Your brother Ben-Hadad. Go and get him, the king of Israel told him. And when Ben-Hadad arrived, Ahab invited him in, up into his chariot. But Ben-Hadad told him, I will give you back the towns my father took from your father, and you may establish places of trade in Damascus, as the, my father did in Samaria. Then Ahab said, I will release you under these conditions. So they made a new treaty, and Ben-Hadad was set free.
Meanwhile, the Lord instructed one of the groups of prophets to say to another man, Hit me. But the man refused to hit the prophet. Then the prophet told him, Because you have not obeyed the voice of the Lord, a lion will kill you as soon as you leave me. And when he had gone, a lion did attack and kill him. Then the prophet turned to another man and said, Hit me. So he struck the prophet and wounded him. The prophet placed a bandage over the eyes to disguise himself and then waited beside the road for the king. As the king passed by, the prophet called out of him, Sir, I was in the thick of battle, and suddenly a man brought me a prisoner. He said, Guard this man. If for any reason he gets away, you will either die or pay a fine of 75 pounds of silver. But while I was busy doing something else, the prisoner disappeared. Well, it's your own fault, the king replied. You have brought the judgment on yourself. Then the prophet quickly pulled the bandage from his eyes, and the king of Israel recognized him as one of the prophets. The prophet said to him, This is what the Lord says, Because you have spared the man I said must be destroyed, now you must die in his place, and your people will die instead of his people. So the king of Israel went home to Samaria angry and sullen. Now there was a name, man named Nabat, this is 21, from Jezreel, who owned a vineyard in Jezreel beside the palace of King Ahab of Samaria. One day Ahab said to Naboth, Since your vineyard is so convenient to my palace, I would like to buy it to use it as a vegetable garden. I will give you a better vineyard in exchange, or if you prefer, I will pay you for it. But Nevat replied, The Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance that was passed down by my ancestors. So Ahab went home angry and sullen because of Naboth's answer. The king went to bed with his face to the wall. He refused to eat. What's the matter? His wife Jezebel asked him. What makes you so upset that you're not eating? I asked Nevat to sell me his vineyard or trade it, but he refused. He refused. Abab told her, Are you the king of Israel or not? Jezreel demanded. Get up and eat something and don't worry about it. I'll get you Naboth's vineyard. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name, sealed them and with his seal, and sent them to the elders and the elders of the town where Naboth lived. In her letters, she commanded, Call the citizens together for fasting and prayer, and give Naboth a place of honor, and then see two scoundrels across him who will accuse him of cursing God and the king, then take him out and stone him to death. So the elders and other town leaders followed the instructions that Jezebel had written in the letters. They called for a fast and put Naboth at a prominent place before the people. But then the two scoundrels came and sat down across from him, and they accused Naboth before all the people, saying, He cursed God and the king, so he was dragged outside the towns and stoned to death. The town leaders then sent word to Jezebel, Naboth has been stoned to death. 
When Jezebel heard the news, she said to Ahab, You now have the vineyard. Nabot wouldn't sell you. Well, you can have it now. He's dead. So Ahab immediately went down to the vineyard of Nabot to claim it. But the Lord said to Elijah, Go down to meet Ahab of Israel, who rules in Samaria. He will be at Nabot's vineyard in Israel, claiming it for himself. Give him this message. This is what the Lord says. Was it enough that you killed Nabot, but you robbed him too? Because you have done this, dogs will lick your blood at the very place where they licked the blood of Nabot. So my enemy, you have found me, Ahab exclaimed to Elijah. Yes, Elijah answered, I have come because you have sold yourself to what is evil in the Lord's sight. So now the Lord says, I will bring disaster on you and consume you. I will destroy every one of your male descendants, slave and free alike, anywhere in Israel. I am going to destroy your family as I did the family of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, and the family of Basha, son of Ahijah. For you have made me very angry and have led Israel into sin. And regarding Jezebel, the Lord says, Dogs will eat Jezebel's body at the plot of land in Jezreel. The members of Ahab's family who died in the city will be eaten by dogs, and those who die in the field will be eaten by vultures. No one else so completely sold himself to what was evil in the Lord's sight as Ahab did. Under the influence of his wife Jezebel, his worst outrage was worshipping idols, just as the Amorites have done. The people whom the Lord had driven out from the land ahead of the Israelites. But when Ahab heard his message, he tore his clothing, dressed in burlap, and fasted. He even slept in burlap and went about in deep mourning. Then another message from the Lord came to Elijah. Do you see how Ahab have humbled himself before me? Because he has done this, I will not do what I promised during his lifetime. I see what happens. It will happen to his sons. I will destroy his dynasty. Today's study, 1 Kings 20, 41, 43, 21, 1 through 4, and 27 through 29. Ahab went home angry and sullen. Yet when Elijah rebuked and condemned Ahab for his actions, Ahab repented and showed that he was sorry. Because of this, the Lord had mercy on him and postponed his judgment. The same Lord who was merciful to Ahab wants to show mercy to each one of us. Even the most wicked person can turn to God in repentance and receive God's mercy. Although they may still face the natural consequences of their sins, no matter how sinful they have been, you can still humble yourself. Turn to God and ask for forgiveness. The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. Amen. Acts chapter 12, 24 to 13, 15. Meanwhile, the word of God continued to spread, and there were many new believers. When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission to Jerusalem, they returned, taking John Mark with them. Chapter 
13. Among the prophets and teachers of the church at Antioch of Syria were Barnabas, Simon called the Blackjack, Lucius from Serene, Manian, Manaen, the childhood companion of King Herod Antipas, and Saul. One day as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Dedicate Barnabas and Saul for the special work for which I have called them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid hands on them and sent them on their way. So Barnabas and Saul were sent out by the Holy Spirit. They went down to the seaport of Seleucia, Seleucia, and then sailed for the island of Cyprus. There in the town of Salamis, they went to the Jewish synagogue and preached the word of God. John Mark went with them as their assistant. Afterwards, they traveled from town to town across the entire island, and finally they reached Paphos, where they met a Jewish sorcerer, a false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He had attached himself to the governor, Sergius, Sergius Paulus, Paulus, who was an intelligent man. The governor invited Barnabas and Saul to visit him, for he wanted to hear the word of God. But Eliman, the sorcerer, and his name, that's his name in Greek, interfered and urged the governor to pay no attention to what Barnabas and Saul said. He was trying to keep the governor from believing. Saul, also known as Paul, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he looked the sorcerer in the eye. Then he said, You son of devil, you son of the devil, full of every sort of deceit and fraud, an enemy of all that is good. Will you never stop perverting true ways of the Lord? Watch now, for the Lord has laid his hand, the punishment upon you, and you will be struck blind. You will not see the sunlight for some time. Instantly, mist and darkness came over the man's eyes, and he began groping around, begging for someone to take his hands and lead him. When the governor saw that he had happened, he became a believer, for he was astonished at the teachings about Paul. He was astonished at the teachings about the Lord. Paul and his companions then left Paphos by ship for Pamphylia, landing at the port town of Perga. There John Mark left them and returned to Jerusalem, but Paul and Barnabas traveled into inland to Antioch to Poseidon. On the seventh day they went to the synagogue for services, and after their usual readings from the book of Moses and the prophets, those in charge of the service, sent them this message. Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, come and give it. Amen. Okay. Today's study, Acts 13, 1-3. The prophets and teachers of the church at Antioch came from very diverse backgrounds. The name Simon suggests a Jewish background and he was probably of African descent. Lucius is a Latin name he came from Serene, the capital of Libya in North Africa. Manain had been brought up with King Herod Antipas.
Barnabas, which suggests that he was from the upper class. Barnabas was a Judean Jew and saw with both a Jewish Pharisee and a Roman citizen. Uh, Roman citizen from Tarsus. The common thread among these five men was their deep devotion to Christ. The early church united diverse members of society like the early church when delivered reached out for all who were lost. Church congregations became full of people from differential racials and cultural backgrounds. We are most comfortable through though those who are just like us, yet we must recognize Christ has called people from every nation Amen. To follow him. The more we love the good news of Jesus and embrace God's vision for the body of Christ, however, the more we will begin to transcend these differences. More than merely getting out of death, getting along, we will love each other. Whom do you love and isn't like you? Amen. Okay, praying the Psalms. Psalm 137, 1 through 9. I ask God to judge wickedness, <clears throat> to destroy evil in the world, and to establish everlasting kingdom. Besides the river of Babylon, we sat and wept. As we thought Jerusalem, we put away our traps, hanging them on the branches of poplar trees. For your ancestors demanded a song from us. Our tormentors insisted on a joyful hymn. Sing us one of those songs of Jerusalem. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in pagan land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget how to play the harp. May my tongue stick to the roof of my tongue. I if I fall to remember, fail to remember, if I don't make Jerusalem my greatest joy. O Lord, remember what the Edomites did in the day of army of Babylon. Capture Jerusalem, destroy it. They yell, level to the ground. O Babylon, you will be destroyed. Happy is the one who pays you back for what you have done to us. Amen. Happy is the one who takes your babies and smashes them against rocks. Proverbs 17.6 It is senseless to pay attention to to pay tuition to educate a fool, since he has no heart for living, for learning. Amen. Okay, I'm going to be reading First John 1 through 5 backwards. I'll be reading first with chapter 5, the proof of love and the victory of faith. This is from the uh, Passion Bible translation. Chapter 5, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Messiah is God's spiritual child and has been fathered by God himself. And everyone who loves the Father God loves his children as well. This is how we can be sure that we love the children of God. By having a passionate love for God and by obedience to his commands. True love for God means obeying His commands, and His commands don't weigh us down as heavy burdens. You see, every child of God overcomes the world.
for our faith is the victorious power that triumphs over the world. So who are the world conquerors defeating its power? Those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. The Spirit, the water, and the blood. Jesus Christ is the one who was revealed as God's Son by His water, baptism, and by the blood of His cross. Not by water only, but by water and blood. And the Spirit, who is truth, confirms this with His testimony. So we have these three constant witnesses giving us their evidence. The Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three are in agreement. If we accept the testimony of men, how much more should we accept the more authoritative testimony of God that He has testified concerning His Son? Those who believe in the Son of God have the living testimony in their hearts. Those who do not believe have made God out to be a liar by not believing the testimony God has confirmed about His Son. This is the true testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life has His source in His Son. Whoever has the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not have the Son does not possess eternal life. Assurance of eternal life. I've written this letter to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you will be assured and, and know without a doubt that you have eternal life. Since we have this confidence, we can also have great boldness before Him. For if we present any request agreeable to His will, He will hear us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we also know that we have obtained the request we ask of Him. If anyone observes a fellow believer habitually sinning in a way that doesn't lead to death, you should keep interceding in prayer that God will give that person life. Now, there is a sin that leads to death, and I am not encouraging you to pray for those who commit it. All unrighteousness is sin, but there is sin that does not result in death. We are convinced that everyone fathered by God does not make sinning a way of life because the son of god protects the child of god and the evil one cannot touch him we know that we are god's children and that the whole world lies under the misery or an influence of the evil one and we know that the son of god has made our understanding come alive so that we can know by experience the one who is true we are in him who is true God's Son, Jesus Christ, the true God and eternal life. So little children, guard yourself from worshiping anything but Him. Chapter 4, A Warning Against False Teaching Delightful love, friends, don't trust every spirit, but carefully examine what they say to determine if they are of God. Because many false prophets have mingled into the world. Here's a test for those with the genuine Spirit of God. They will confess Jesus as the Christ who has come in the flesh. Everyone who does not acknowledge that Jesus is from God has the Spirit of Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is already active in the world. Little children, you can be certain that you belong to God. Little children, you can be certain that you belong to God and have conquered them. 
For the one who is living in you is far greater than the one who is in the world. They belong to this world and they articulate the spirit of this world and the world listens to them. But we belong to God and whoever truly knows God listens to us. Those who refuse to listen to us do not belong to God. This is how we can know the difference between the spirit of truth and the spirit of deceit. God is love. God is love. God is love. Those who are loved by God, let his love continually pour from you to one another. Because God is love. Everyone who loves is fathered by God and experiences an intimate knowledge of him. The one who doesn't love has yet to know God, for God is love. The light of God's love shines within us when he sent his matchless son into the world so that we might live through him. This is love. He loved us long before we loved him. It, it was his love, not ours. He proved it by sending his son to be the pleasing sacrificial offering to take away our sins. Delightfully loved ones. If he loved us with such tremendous love, then loving one another should be our way of life. No one has ever gazed upon the fullness of God's splendor, but if we love one another, God makes his permanent home in us. If we make our permanent home in him and his love is brought to, to its full expression in us, and he has given us his spirit within us so that we can have the assurance that he lives in us and that we live in him. Moreover, we have seen with our own eyes and can testify to the truth that Father God has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Those who give thanks that Jesus is the son of God live in God and God lives in them. We have come into an intimate experience with God's love and we trust in the love he has for us. God is love. Those who are living in love are living in God, and God lives through them. By living in God, love has been brought to its full expression in us, so that we may fiercely face the day of judgment. Because all that Jesus now is, so are we in this world. Love never brings fear, for fear is always related to punishment. But love's perfection drives the fear of punishment far from our hearts. Whoever walks constantly afraid of punishment has not reached love's perfection. Our love for others is our grateful response to the love God first demonstrated to us. Anyone can say, I love God, yet have hatred toward another believer. This makes him a phony. Because of, if you don't love the brother or sister whom you can see, how can you truly love God whom you can't see? For he has given us this command. Whoever loves God must also demonstrate love to one another. To others. Chapter 3. Divine Sonship. Look with wonder at the depth of the Father's marvelous love that he has lavished on us. He has called us and made us his very own beloved children. The reason the world doesn't recognize who we are is that they didn't recognize him. Beloved, we are God's children right now. However, it is not yet apparent what we will become. But we do know that when it, it is finally made visible, 
we will be just like him, for we will see him as he truly is. And all who focus their hopes on him will always be purifying themselves, just as Jesus is pure. The character of God's children. Anyone who indulges in sin lives in moral anarchy. For the definition of sin is breaking God's law. And you know without a doubt that Jesus was revealed to eradicate sins, and there is no sin in him. Anyone who continues to live in union with him will not sin. But the one who continues sinning hasn't seen him with discernment or known him by intimate experience. <clears throat> Delightful love children. Don't let anyone divert you from this truth. The person who keeps doing what is right proves that he is righteous before God, even as the Messiah is righteous. But the one who indulges in a sinful life is of the devil. Because the devil has been sinning from the beginning, the reason the Son of God was revealed was to undo and destroy the works of the devil. Everyone who is truly God's child will refuse to keep sinning because God's seed remains within him. And he is unable to continue sinning because he has been fathered by God himself. Here is how God's children can be clearly distinguished from the children of the evil one. Anyone who does not demonstrate righteousness and show love for, to fellow believers is not living with God as his source. Love one another. The beautiful message you heard right now from the start is that we should walk in self-sacrificing love toward one another. We should not be like Cain who yield to the evil one and brutally murder his own brother, Abel. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brother's righteous. So don't be shocked, beloved brothers and sisters, if you experience the world's hatred. Yet we can be assured that we have been translated from spiritual death into spiritual life because we love the family of believers. A loveless life remains spiritually dead. Everyone who keeps hating a fellow believer is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we have discovered love's reality. Jesus sacrificed his life for us, because of this great love, we should be willing to lay down our lives for one another. If anyone sees a fellow believer in need and has the means to help him, yet shows no pity and closes his heart against him, how is it even possible that God loves live in him? Beloved children, our love can be an abstract theory. We only talk about but a way of life demonstrates through our loving deeds. We know that the truth lives within us because we demonstrate the love in action, which will reassure our hearts in His presence. Whenever our hearts makes us feel guilty and reminds us of our failure, we know that God is much greater and more merciful than our conscience, and He knows everything there is to know about us. My delightful my delightfully loved friends, when our hearts don't condemn us, we have a bold freedom to speak face to face with God. And whatever we ask, we receive because we keep His commands. And by our beautiful intentions, we continue to do what brings pleasure to Him. So there are 
his commands that we continually place our trust in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and that we keep loving one another just as he, he has commanded us. For all who obey his commands find their lives joined in union with him, and he lives and flourishes in them. We know and have proof that he constantly lives and flourishes in us by the spirit he has given us. Chapter 2. Christ, our answer for sin. You are my children, and I write these things to you so that you won't sin. But if anyone does sin, we continually have a forgiving Redeemer who is face to face with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. A new commandment. Here's how we can be sure that we truly come to know God. If we keep his commands, if someone claims, I have come to know God by experience, yet doesn't keep God's commands, is a phony, and the truth finds no place in him. But the love of God will be perfected within the one who obeys God's word. We can be sure that we truly come to live in intimacy with God, not just by saying, I am intimate with God, but by walking in the footsteps of Jesus. Beloved, I am not writing a new commandment to you, but an old one that you have had from the beginning, and you already heard it. Yet, in a sense, it is a new commandment. It is truth is made manifest both in Christ and in you, because the darkness is disappearing and the true light is already blazing. Beloved, I am not writing a new commandment to you, but an old one that you have had from the beginning, and you already heard it. Yet, in a sense, it is a new commandment. We can be sure that we're truly come to live in intimacy with God, not just by saying, I am intimate with God, but by walking in the footsteps of Jesus. Beloved, I am not writing a new commandment to you, but an old one that you have had from the beginning. And you already heard it. Yet, in a sense, it is a new commandment, as its truth is made manifest both in Christ and in you, because the darkness is disappearing and the true light is already blazing. Anyone who says, I am in the light, while holding hatred in his heart toward a fellow believer, is still in the darkness. But the one who truly loves a fellow believer lives in the light. And there is nothing in him that will cause someone else to stumble. But whoever hates a fellow believer lives in the darkness, stumbling around in the darkness with no clue where he is going, for he is blinded by the darkness. Three Stages of Spiritual Maturity I remind you, dear children, your sins have been permanently removed because of the power of his name. I remind you, fathers and mothers, you have a relationship with the one who has existed from the beginning. I am reminding you, young people, you have defeated the evil one. I write these things to you, dear children, because you truly have a relationship with the Father. I write these things, father and mothers, because you have had a true relationship with him who is from the beginning. And I write these things, young people, because you are strong 
And the word of God is treasured in your hearts, and you have defeated the evil one. A warning not to love the world. Don't set the affections of your heart on this world or on loving the things of the world. The love of the Father and the love of the world are incompatible. For all that the world can offer us, the gratification of our flesh, the allurement of the things of the world, and the obsession with status and importance, none of these things come from the Father but from the world. This world and its desires are in the process of passing away, but those who love to do the will of God live forever. Believing in Jesus Dear children, the end of this age is near. You have heard that Antichrist is arising, and in fact, many enemies of Christ have already appeared. For well, this is how we know that we are living in the closing hour of this age. For even though they were once in a part of us, they withdrew from us because they were not really of our number. For if they had truly belonged to us, they would have continued with us. By leaving our community of believers, they made it obvious that they never really belonged to us. But the Holy One has anointed you, and you all know the truth. So I am writing you not because you don't know the truth, but because you do know it, and no lie belongs to the truth. The power of the truth. Who is the real liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is the real Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever rejects the Son rejects the Father. Whoever embraces the Son embraces the Father also. So you must be sure to keep the message burning in your hearts that is the message of life you have heard from the beginning. If you do, you will always be living in close fellowship with, with the Son and with the Father. And He Himself has promised us the never-ending life of the ages to come. I've written these things about those who are attempting to lead you astray, but the wonderful anointing you have received from God is so much greater than their deceptions and now lives in you. There's no need for anyone to keep teaching you. His anointing teaches you all that you need to know, for it will lead you into truth, not a counterfeit, so just as the anointing has taught you, remain in Him. And now, dear children, remain in Him so that when He is revealed, we may have joyful confidence and not be ashamed when we stand before Him at His appearing. If you know that He is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who lives in righteousness has been divinely fathered by Him. Amen. Chapter 1. Chapter 1. Where is chapter 1? Here it is. Come on. God is love. The living expression. We saw him with our very own eyes. We gazed upon him and heard him speak. Our hands actually touched him. The one who was from the beginning, the living expression of God. The life giver was made visible and we have seen him. We testify to this truth. The eternal life giver lived face to face with the Father 
and has now dawned upon us. So we proclaim to you that we have seen and heard about this life giver, so that we may share and enjoy this life together. For truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ, and with His Son, Jesus, the Anointed One. We are writing these things to you because we want to release to you our fullness of joy. God is light. This is the life-giving message we heard him share, and it's still ringing in our ears. We now repeat his words to you. God is pure light. You will never find even a trace of darkness in him. If we claim that we share life with him, but keep walking in the realm of darkness, where we're fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we keep living in the pure light that surrounds him, we share unbroken fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus' His Son continually cleanses us from all sin, purified from sin. If we boast that we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and are strangers to the truth. But if we truly admit our sins when he, His light uncovers them, He will be faithful to forgive us of every time. God is just to forgive us of our sins because of Christ. He will continue to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we claim that we're not guilty of sin when God uncovers it with his light, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. The Passion Translation, 1 John 5-1 through 1. 